0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today, you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, how many of you today can remember what life was like before you came to Christ? Okay, yeah. Aren't you glad you aren't there anymore? Uh, and that doesn't mean, wow, it's not like, oh, now we're better. No, it's now we're forgiven because we weren't better. <laughs> um, and so we're thinking about this, the goodness of God. What, what a great blessing that is. But have you ever thought, how is it that you came to know Christ? Somebody who knew Jesus... Had to tell somebody else, didn't they? And that person, whoever it was, received Christ, and that person talked to another person, and maybe someone was in a church service, and they talked to other people, maybe someone invited someone and came. And over a 2,000 year period, here we are. And we know Jesus. Because somebody took seriously the things that Jesus said when he said, Go and make disciples of all the nations. And it's been said that Christianity is always only one generation from being gone. Right? Because if we as Christians never do anything to get the gospel out, then it dies with us, doesn't it? And so the Lord has given us these responsibilities and we've been looking in the book of Acts which tells us how those first disciples, all the things that Jesus had told them and then telling them these kinds of instructions, they did it and how they did it and we've seen lots of really interesting, important stuff in there. Today we're gonna jump to the end of the book of Acts and really that's where we pick up. The book of Acts ends and then we... It's our acts, isn't it? <laughs> acts of those who believe in him. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible with you, hopefully there's one in the chairs there in front of you somewhere and that's page 1307. And we do encourage you to, to follow along. Now we left off last week in chapter 15 where they are having this big meeting to decide to do, do um, Gentiles Remember, if, you're, if this is new to you, Jewish people were these descendants from Abram through Abraham that God had made certain promises to, who had given the word of God to them to promise a Savior and a Messiah to them. The Jewish people, through his son, the descendant Jacob, who was renamed Israel and his, his descendants. Okay, so physically they're genetically wherever they're born, they are of the Jewish lineage, but they still had to believe in God. They still had to make a choice to trust Him they, like us, have sinned against the Holy God and they needed a Savior. But so there's the Jewish people, and that's limited. But then Gentiles is everybody else. <laughs> that's all of us here today. And uh, so we, last week we saw that big conference, they, some people were saying, wait a minute, you know, we're Jewish, we've always been Jewish, we have these laws that God gave us that we need to follow, and, and so if people are going to become Christians, followers of Jesus, He's our Messiah, they got to become Jewish. And, of course, the Holy Spirit led them to make very clear that that is not the case. Okay? Gentiles do not need to become Jews in order to be saved. Jesus came and died and paid the penalty for how many human beings? All. That's right. Jew and Gentile alike. And in the church, God brought Jew and Gentile together. Okay? So, after that, we see Paul going out on his missions trips again more and, and going farther and farther and farther. Uh, miracles happen. They, they witness to many people. Many people get saved, lots of churches started all over the, that part of the world. But Paul, like Paul, was like Paul did, Paul managed to get himself put in jail, right, for preaching the gospel. And so it was actually in Jerusalem, and it was a big uproar. And so they held him. They actually took him from there to uh, uh, Caesarea Philippi, with, no, Caesarea Maritime, which is on the Mediterranean Sea there. And they held him for two years because he, what was happening is there was this argument about what was going on. Was Paul trying to undermine the Jewish people or was what was going on? And so he made an appeal to Rome, which was ruling overall. It'd be like if you and I had a court case And, you know, we didn't win or it was unclear. And it goes what? We go to the next court. And that's what Paul had done, really, to the Supreme Court, you might say, to go to Rome and have a hearing before uh, the emperor and whatever organization he had there and how he dealt with that. So for two years, he waits in Israel to get to go. And he's in jail, house arrest kind of a thing. And then he gets to Rome, and it's two more years And that's what we're going to read about here today. Okay. So verse number 17 of chapter 28. The last chapter in Acts. It says, and it came to pass after three days. So Paul has, he's arrived, excuse me, he's arrived in Rome now. He's there. He's settled. After three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. Okay. So he calls out to the leaders, the Jewish leaders in the city of Rome. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death, which is what the the Jewish religious leaders who did not believe in Jesus wanted to have done. They wanted him executed. Verse 19. But when the Jews spoke against it, Against letting him go. I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. He wants to make clear that he hasn't appealed to Caesar. So he can go there and and talk bad about the Jewish people. That's not why he's there. He wants the Jewish people to understand this. Verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you. To see you and speak with you. Because for the hope of Israel... I am bound with this change. That were the hope of Israel, You know, the, most likely the Jewish people there who would come to listen to these leaders understood he was talking about the promised Savior, the promised Messiah, the one who was to come, the hope of Israel. I've come here to talk. I want to talk to you about him. Verse 21. Then they said to him, we neither, rece- neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. So we we haven't heard anything bad, Paul. Verse 22, but we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, they considered Christianity at that point a sect of Judaism. Concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So this is the opposition that we saw happening in here. Because when Christ came, let's talk about this again, what group of people was he born into? Jewish people. Jewish people, why? And he was Jewish, wasn't he? He was the promised Messiah, promised to the Jewish people and the whole world, but through the scriptures. And when people heard this message, we, we read about it in the earlier in the sermon series, many people, many of the Jewish people believed. They believed that Jesus was who God said, that the Scriptures said he was, and that he did die for their sins. And they, they turned to him as Lord. And we're going to see in just a minute very clearly, but plenty of them did not. They chose not to believe. They chose to reject Jesus as their Messiah. And so we see this opposition. And this opposition, they're saying, we've heard about this. Would you tell us about this? What's going on? So Paul does. Verse 23. So when they had appointed him a day, they scheduled the time, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. So all day he's talking to them about what the scriptures say, what the law is and what it's about. What does it, it portray? What does it fore, foreshadow? Uh, what do the prophets have to say? And, and he's, he talks about all these prophecies and how Jesus is the fulfillment of these. He's giving them every reason to believe. Verse 24, and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. That's an active thing there, by the way, disbelieved. It's just, no. It's saying, no, I don't believe that. And so right here, we see what? Same thing that's happened earlier in the story, and the same thing that you and I experience today. When the gospel is shared... Some people are persuaded by that and, and they receive Christ as Savior. And like we talked about earlier, we're so glad, aren't we? Yes. Amen. And then there are others who don't. People, God has given human beings free will to respond to Him. Okay? All right, so some were persuaded by the things which are spoken and some disbelieved, did not believe. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed. After Paul had said one word, and one word, they don't mean one word. This is a message, just like the word here. And he shares from the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through his Isaiah, the prophet to our fathers, saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. So uh, talking through Isaiah to his people his time and what God was trying to, to say to them, he's saying some, some people are just not going to hear. They just aren't going to hear. They, they can't see it. They're not going to, excuse me, they could see it. But their own hearts and their own condition, they said No. And so he, he's saying, just like that happened in the Old Testament, guess what? That's what's happening now. Those of you who are not believing that God has sent you the Messiah that he promised you for all these years, and you're saying, no, no, no. He said, this is what Isaiah was talking about. You have a dull heart. You aren't open to what's really true here. And so when he said that, I, I think they decided, I guess the meeting's over. <laughs> Time to go home. Verse 28, and then he says this, therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. Now, not every Gentile, but remember, from the natural Jewish perspective, they grew up the whole time. Who were God's people? The Jews were God's people. God had given him his word, the law, all those kinds of things. They had all the customs they did. We are Jewish. Everybody else is not. And Paul's saying, yeah, that everybody else who is not, the gospel is going to go to them and and, and they're going to believe. And I did on April 4th, 1975. I'm one of those. All right, verse 29. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. So they're arguing out the door and on the way home. And, And we don't know what happened to them. We know some of them believed, right? Some of them didn't. And so most likely the ones who believed got connected with Christians. And the ones who didn't never did. Verse 30. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So because Paul is I say in jail, it was like house arrest. He had his own house that he was able to live in, but he had soldiers living there with him. Uh, so he wasn't free to, to go. But because he was there and because of the, I don't know, what's the right word. There's an uproar, right? I mean, there's so much going on, so much controversy about him that people kept coming to him to find out what is this about and what he tell them. He tells him about the salvation that God has provided for us in Jesus, and he says he did it with all confidence. All right, so there are a few things up front here that we want to talk about that really apply to us personally as Christians. Okay, and we've looked at this and talked about. We talk about it again and again and again. This is how we summarize the things that we do as Christians. We surrender to the Lord. We say yes to Him. He, you know, if He says this, we say yes. Okay. Uh, we grow to be like the Lord. And this is where we learn to think more like Jesus. Our hearts are transformed to be more like Jesus. Our lives more and more match the way he said that we ought to live. We become more and more like him. We do that by learning the word, by praying, by talking and fellowshipping with other Christians, trying to change our lives. And so he changes us to be more like the Lord. And then finally, we are to tell others about the Lord. And that is um, me as a person, Me as a Christian, I have a responsibility to tell others about the Lord, to be open and ready to do that. And then not just me, but we, we as a church have the responsibility, not just for here, but for where? To the end of the earth, Jesus said. Okay, so we we need to be involved somehow in getting the gospel to the end of the earth. So, but we're talking about ourselves personally, okay? We see this here that we can expect people to be divided in their response to the gospel. We can just expect that, right? If if we invite a bunch of people in here sometime, like on a special day, like a Christmas Sunday or Easter, and I share the gospel, we can expect that not everybody's going to have the same response. Okay? Makes sense, doesn't it? We've experienced it. We get that. Okay, now, here's the problem. Since we don't know what their response is going to be, sometimes we hesitate to share. Because we're concerned about their response. And so the second thought I want you to see here is this, that, uh, well, hang on just a second before I do that. So we can expect people. Do you know Jesus said to expect it? He said, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? And we'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, no. I tell you, not at all, but rather division. Well, didn't the angels sing peace on earth? Well, I don't think the angels sang it, but they said it. Anyway, peace on earth, Goodwill toward men, right? And yes, only in Jesus will we find peace. By the way, in this horrible conflict that's going on in the Middle East with Israel and, and Hamas, and all of this, those, you know, there will never really finally be peace until Jesus comes and makes peace, right? I mean, we can hope and try our best and work to, to have peace. That's what we want. But until Jesus comes, it's not going to... He's, he's the only one who can solve that, okay? Um, but anyway, so he will bring peace. He is the Prince of Peace. The, that moment that I received Jesus' as Savior, the moment that you received Jesus' as Savior, you made peace with God. Amen. You made peace with God, okay? And all the sin that was in the way has been removed. And so now you have peace with God. So that is true. But Jesus still says, I didn't come to just make everything be peaceful. No, I came to bring division. And what's the division about? The division is about him. Who is he? Who is he in my life? Who is he in your life? And Christ says, saying, I am the issue. I, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, I am the issue. And You have to choose. You have to decide me or not. Just like we read, right? Some were persuaded and the others disbelieved. And so Jesus brings division, but it's about him. And we have to make a choice and that divides people, doesn't it? How many of you within your not too distant family have people who don't believe? Okay, there's a division, isn't there? And you experience the results of that. Now, hopefully we be witnesses and live the Christian life in a way that eventually they they become Christians, right? That's the plan, but there's a division. So Jesus does bring division. So we shouldn't be surprised by this. Don't be surprised by it. I mean, when I try to think about this logically, I think, why in the world would somebody not receive Christ as Savior, right? I don't know. But I shouldn't be surprised because that's the truth. That's the way it goes. Now, So because we don't know, sometimes we're afraid to share, okay? Don't let the fear of negative responses stop you from sharing your faith, okay? Don't let it stop you. Go ahead and share your faith because if the idea we expect it, we know it. We know it's part of the deal. We share our faith. Some people aren't going to like it. Some people may not like you because you shared it. Now, now don't be in, uh, that was a nice word. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> and share your faith in a way that's not like sharing. <laughs> you know, where you're being a, a, ridiculous. Not, you're not being loving. You're not caring about this person who's in front of you. All right? But don't let it stop you. Okay, what you want to do is realize, wait a minute. If there's a division and I'm worried about these who won't, what is that? But what's the other deal? There are people who what? Will. Let that be your focus. Let the real possibility of positive responses motivate you to share your faith. Yeah, as I share my faith, as I go through life, sometimes I get a little opportunity, other times I get a bigger opportunity, and I don't know what the people's responses are going to be, but you know what? Some, some people will respond and believe. Some people will say, yeah, I'd come to church. Some people will be like uh, one of our members today was telling me they have a neighbor who's, who's asking questions about Jesus. A Muslim who's asking questions about Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Right? So, let's stop. Let's stop letting our concern about people who might respond negatively keep us from sharing our faith. Let's, let's just stop that. Now, let's look at that last verse here again. So he's preaching the kingdom of God. Everybody's coming to hear what's going on. So he preaches to them the kingdom of God. And it's not a sermon like I'm doing, it's, but he's telling them. He's proclaiming to them the truth about Jesus. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. What are the next three words? Read them with me if you if you're there. Ready? With all confidence. You guys don't sound very confident. With all what? With confidence. That's right. How did Paul become confident in sharing the gospel? Seems silly, but what did he do? He shared the gospel. You will never become confident in sharing the gospel until you share the gospel. Now the Holy Spirit, obviously, is the one who gives us confidence, but we have to make a choice. Am I gonna trust God here enough to actually say something, put myself out here, put myself at risk? Somebody might not like me. Somebody might respond negatively. But the idea is is once we get beyond it, we start sharing our faith, what we discover is that God works. And if this person doesn't like it and they turn away, or a whole group of people and they whatever, at that point it's amazing that if we're really leaning on God, what he does inside of us. In fact, I think that sometimes we have, in my own life, other people's life, I've grown the most when I'm facing opposition for doing what I know God is telling me to do. And it grows you. Because who do you have to depend on at that point? You have to depend on God. You can't depend on yourself. All right, so we grow. So sharing your faith regularly will help you share your faith confidently. Okay? If you say, I'm just not confident. Well, one thing you can do is stick around for the class after the the day, because that's what I'm talking about, how to be confident. But if you aren't confident, again, it's you just gotta share it because you will become confident. It's just one of those things you gotta do. Little kid has to learn to walk. Tries to stand up the first time, falls over, hits his head on the coffee table, screams bloody murder, you love him. And what, the, what if their brain said, oops, that does not go, never doing that again. And they're teenagers and you gotta go pick them up out of the bed. But so it's the same with us. We, just, we fall, maybe it hurts, it's not fun, but we keep doing it, we gain confidence. And we get better at it, okay? God will use us. So this idea of sharing your faith regularly is gonna help you share your faith confidently. How far are we to go with this sharing of faith? To where? Tell me where you go where you say, oh, I don't need to share my faith here. Well, in church. Well, no, you should still share your faith as a Christian. You're sharing your faith with each other, right? So where, where can you go in the world where you say, okay, I don't have to share my faith here? I guess maybe if you're by yourself someplace. But if you're not, there is we go where? To the end of the earth. That's what he says. He says, start here, go a little farther, wherever you go, to the end of the earth, share your faith. Okay, so... We've been given this responsibility, right? It just comes out of our responsibility as Christians. We tell us it's a responsibility together as a church. So the question for us is this. Is, is our job done? You think by now, over 2,000 years, surely everybody has heard and had the opportunity to be saved, right? No. to the end. So that's the question. Has everyone heard? Has everyone even had an opportunity to hear? So let's, let's talk about this. The reality is, is there's a world full of people who still need to hear the gospel. We talked about us and our own witness. Now we're talking about beyond us into the rest of the world. A few weeks ago, we talked about what we have been trying to do here as a church and how we're involved in missions. But as we get to the end of the book of Acts, talking about being a church in motion, going, doing what God has given us to do, the job isn't done. There's still a world full of people who need to know about Jesus. They need to hear the truth. Of how to be saved, they need to, to. We want them to be able to sing like we did today. And say, "Oh man, the goodness of God," because we know Him. And they need that opportunity as well. All right. So when we ask this question, has everyone heard? Um, when Jesus said, "Go and make disciples of all the nations," what's interesting here? That's that's an accurate translation. But there's other ways this could be translated because he doesn't use a specific word that says go into all world and make disciples of all the countries. That isn't the word that he uses here that's used. It's it's the word ethne. And it was oftentimes referred to mean to Gentiles. But we get our word ethnic from it. So he's saying go into all world and to every ethnic group. To a, what we might call a people group. Let Let me read to you. A people group, a group of people. In other words, you can have more. You can have more than one group of people in a nation, right? Yes. Who are very much. They have an identity. So, uh, definition here. Where to go? There it is. A significantly large grouping of individuals who perceive themselves to have a common affinity for one another. Because of their shared language, or religion, or ethnicity, or residence, or occupation, or class, or situation, or any combination of those things. They have an identity within that place that they live. Okay? Um, And there are all sorts of groups like this over the world. In fact, they've identified 17,400 specific people groups. Are you guys tracking when I talk about people groups? If you're not, I, I want to clear that up. Okay, so Jesus is saying, don't just, because here's the reality, right? So we look on the map and we have a missionary in a country. Yeah. And they may be reaching certain group of people, but there's a whole other group of people that that just doesn't happen with. Let me give you an example. In, uh, in um, countries like Bangladesh, where we have missionaries there, kind of undercover missionaries, but they are seeking to reach the Muslim population. Okay? It's the same in India. Let's just talk about India. It might be easier. In India, there are uh, Muslims and Hindus. Those are the two primary groups. The Hindus, by far and away, the largest group. And when Christianity came to India, the Hindus were the ones that got reached first. Okay, and so that, that reaches a lot of people. And the Hindus already, the, the, we talked about last week, the Jewish law, right? In the Jewish law, they weren't allowed to eat pork. True? Okay. Well, you understand the Muslims also don't eat pork. All right. Well, the Hindus became Christians. And guess what Hindus do? They eat bacon. Okay. They eat pork. Now, to the Muslim population, that's like Terrible. All right, so how many Muslims do you think those Hindus are reaching? Not very many, right? It's hard. So there's a whole people group. See, that's how this people group thing would work. Okay, in a country, you may reach one group, but not the other. So 17,400 distinct people groups. The best estimate we have today, is about 7,400 of those who are unreached. Now, by unreached, This means, the definition they use for this when they talk about it, is that there are fewer than 2% of Christians in that country. Fewer than 2%. And that there's less than 5% of any kind of Christian. Anybody who'd call themselves a Christian. And 2% of Bible-believing Christians. You know what those figures are in Massachusetts? Uh, according to the, the last research, the Pew research that I looked at, their estimates are that there are about 9 or 10% of evangelical Christians, which we would call ourselves, who are, we would say those were people who really believe the scriptures, really believe the gospel, okay, about 10% in Massachusetts. And there's 58% of the population of Massachusetts would consider itself Christian. And so you understand what we're talking about. Do you feel like there's just oh so much wonderful Christian witness by people who believe the Bible in our state? No, I bet you know a lot of people don't know much. See, and we have 58% Christians. We have 10% of really Bible-believing Christians in mass. So we're talking about nations with millions of people that have less than two percent and less than five percent that would even call themselves Christians. So what's the likelihood that people living there run into a Christian? Very unlikely. They could go the whole life and never meet a Christian. And they could go a whole life and never hear. Because you know what, a lot of these places too are oftentimes the least literate. And they're also the places that have the least access to things like the internet. I mean they could be isolated, never hear about Jesus in their whole life. Okay? That's a pretty tough thing, okay? All right, so let's keep talking this. Has everyone heard? 17,400 distinct people groups, 7,400 of which have no Christian witness in it. And they estimate that this is about 42% of the world's population lives in those places. These unreached people. That's 3.3 billion people. I don't know about you. I hear, you know, we have debt in my country. What are we up to? I don't know. In the 20 trillions of dollars, it's just beyond, right? We can't even imagine. But let's talk to you about 3.3 billion, what that number is like to help you try to grasp it. First one is one of my favorite ones here. If you ate one Twinkie. <laughs> so at the beginning of creation, let's say you were there. You're in the, you're in the garden and God hands you a Twinkie. And he kept handing you Twinkies. Okay? If you ate one Twinkie every minute, one Twinkie a minute of every day since the creation of the world, you'd still have to eat for more than two hundred years beyond now to eat three point three billion. Wow. All right. Three point three billion steps would take you around the world more than sixty-two times. 3.3 billion miles would take you to the moon and back almost seven times. 3.3 billion seconds ago, World War I had just ended and the Roaring Twenties were about to begin. 3.3 billion is a huge number, isn't it? And that's how many people in the world right now have almost zero opportunity of hearing the gospel. 1,800 of those people groups don't even have a Bible in their language. I mean, so what do we do? What about those who've never heard? Maybe, ah, they're all right. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 2. Just turn over in your Bible a couple pages to Romans chapter 2. Paul says here, and starting in verse number 12... Because so he's challenging here, he's challenging people who are saying, well, we're okay, we're Jewish people, we have the law, we're all right. And he's saying, no, it doesn't work that way. Verse 12. He says, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. Then as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Okay, so if you don't have the law, you still, as we're going to see, you still sin? If you do have the law, you still sin. I'll, I'll elaborate on that in a little bit. Verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And so two thoughts here. He's telling these, these readers who say, no, we're okay because we're Jewish. We have the law of God. He said, no, 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 because you have not obeyed the law of God. If you could have obeyed the law perfectly because you had a nature that wasn't sinful and you did it perfectly, okay. But that's none of us, is it? It's none of the the Jewish people either. None of us Christians who say we have this. We've all sinned, okay? And then verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these although not having the law are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts, excusing or else else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, the gospel that he's preaching, the secrets of men. That means everything that everybody already knows and everything that only God knows, okay? we talked about that judgment before. But so here are these people who have never heard. And, and, and Paul's making very clear here. If you never heard, God is still going to judge you. If you have heard, God is going to judge you. And if you have heard, you have a greater responsibility. So the judgment may be harsher. So what about those who have never heard? Let's just sum up here. Paul's saying they have sinned. They have sinned. Okay. And they will perish. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, what? Should not perish. perish. That's why the gospel has to get to them. Okay. They have sinned. They will perish. They instinctively know to do what's right. God has created every human being. It talks about having this moral law written on their hearts. Every human being is born with and grows up with some sense of some things are right and some things aren't. Now. This culture may disagree about what that is with this culture, but guess what? Neither culture thinks you can just do whatever you want. They have a clear sense that something is right and something is wrong. And so this is what God has done in their hearts. Uh, And then they have an accusing conscience. And uh, in other words, their conscience, I mean, uh, here's a cool question. Anybody's conscience bother you this morning? Mine did. Am I the only one? No, I'm not the only one. Okay. It wasn't a huge deal, but it was an important thing. And then I, oh, Lord, I'm so, We all have conscience. And our consciences aren't perfect. They're informed by what we grow up with. Okay. But we still have this idea something's right and something's wrong. And here's the deal. Is that nobody in the world always does what they think is right. Everybody in the world at some point does what they think is wrong. We've all sinned. Whether you know about the gospel in Jesus or whether you do know about the gospel in Jesus. And so they have a conscience and they will be judged by God. So what about those who've never heard? Does this matter? Is it important? It's very important to them, whether they realize it or not. Um, The Apostle Paul, no, I think Peter said this in his preaching. Acts chapter four, verse number 12, he says, nor is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus. So here's the question, right? In Romans 10, Paul asks it. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Jesus said that we need to be about getting the gospel to the end of the earth. That that means we must be either going or sending. Right? Maybe both. (laughs) So, has everyone heard? You have this people groups, you know, and the answer is no. But when you think of this number of people, 3.3 billion, doesn't it seem impossible? It seems like an impossible task. Oh, but when you start talking about impossible and combine that with something God told us to do, with God, what? All things things are possible. All right. So this is Jesus said to us, said to us, his followers, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, every people group, everywhere. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have to, as we come to the end of the book of Acts, and we see what, how the, the first disciples understood what Jesus meant. They, they personally shared the gospel. You know, they didn't let the fact that someone might respond negatively stop them. And the reality was that there were plenty of people who didn't respond negatively and, and were saved, which is how we're saved today, okay? All right? Uh, so we have that personally. And then we as a church have a responsibility to get the gospel out to the world. Really, Christianity that does not care about sending the gospel is not Christianity. It's a perverted form of Christianity. We don't want to be that, do we? No, we, you know, let's let's care. it, It is impossible. But I tell you what, when you pray, God works. When you give money to God's purposes, God works. Okay. Every one of these boxes. I'm so thankful to you guys for doing this. It's just such an encouragement always to me. But every one of these boxes. You know, God, God knows which child is going to get this one right here. And so when we pray, you know, we pray, God, those boxes are going out. And maybe we just think about this off and on over the next couple of months. And, you know, God, please, you know, protect this child from Satan's efforts to destroy him. Oh man, do you know, if you've watched or listened to much about these Hamas warriors who came across the border and what they did and how they talked about it, do you know how deeply Satan had damaged them because of the lies that they had been taught? These children don't have to be there, see? They can be changed because of the gospel. And so when we pray, it matters. When we give, we, we paid money for these boxes. When we give money... To, to our missions program here is going to go out there and people are going to be saved because of it and we will meet them. And so we need to be a church that is conscious of this, aware of it, making decisions and doing things to be a part of it. Does that make sense to you? Yes. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the challenge that you've also included us not only in saving us, Lord, but you've included us in your plans and purposes and given us responsibilities. Even us here, Lord, who sometimes feel like, man, we don't have anything to give, we, don't, we aren't able to go, we don't know what to do, Lord, but remind us that a sincere prayer about this responsibility that you will hear and you will work, that if we can give, Lord, with a small amount large whatever, Lord, whatever you enable us to give, that we are making a difference. That there will be people in heaven, at least partly because of what we've done. So I pray, Lord, stir our hearts, remind us, remind us to be witnesses each and every day, ready to share our faith. And then, Lord, help us to keep looking beyond to the world. That we could be a church that would truly honor and glorify you in this. And I prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.